Remain standing for just a moment longer as you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 1. And by way of reminder, the preacher writes to the Hebrews because there is a real danger... And he needs to address it. Uh, It is the danger of defection, reverting back to the old ways. And this danger has been coupled with the idea that God is more pleased with us sometimes. We get into our mind that that God is more pleased with us when we are receiving blessings. There's a doctrine that is out today, and it's not new. It's been around for quite a while that unless you're living a blessed, uh, materially blessed life, then God must not be happy with you. And that leads to, um, that leads to works, that leads to um, uh, self-motivated uh, uh, salvation, self-motivated sanctification, however you want to look at that. And so we want to look at this a little bit more closely this morning as we get into the idea that Christ is superior uh, to the angels and to see how this applies to us. Look with me, if you would, at verses 7 through 9. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Thank you. You may be seated. As we get into this this morning, I wanted to kind of start off, and and this uh, question that I'm going to kind of kick things off with may sound a little odd. Uh, because you know me, I'm, I'm, not a, um, I'm not a health and wealth and prosperity preacher by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I also uh, am not a, uh, uh, a preacher of works salvation. I, I don't believe you can earn your way into heaven. I don't believe that by any stretch. Uh, but I also don't believe that a person can lose the salvation that has been granted to them by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If I cannot earn it, I cannot keep it by my own merit. It's not a possibility. And so as I get into this, there is a question that oftentimes gets, uh, uh, maybe it doesn't get asked, but it gets thought, uh, but sometimes it does get asked. And the question is simply this, how do I keep God happy with me? And I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life where I have wondered along the lines of what do I need to do in order to keep God happy with me? You know, uh, uh, we get into our mind that, well, God loved me when I got saved, but now because of, uh, of this, this, and this, God doesn't like me anymore. And I hope to be able to try to clear some of that up today. Now, granted, this is not by any stretch of the imagination going to be completely cleared up in one uh, uh, message. There are many questions that come into play with this. But I hope that I can do that this morning by simply looking at the person of Jesus Christ. 
Let's, let's take a look uh, yet again here in verse number 7 before we go any deeper. It says, And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Now we need to understand that word and at the beginning of it. Here's a, a little bit of uh, Bible study 101. Whenever you see a connecting word at the beginning of a, uh, of a uh, Bible verse you need to look back to see why it's there because the and indicates a continuing thought. So as we go back, verse number 6 and again, verse number 5, for unto, that for is a connecting word. And so we get ourselves back into what it is that he is, uh, has been talking about. And at the very beginning of chapter number 1, it lets us know that God used to speak in a certain way, but then in these last days he spoke and it's done. And who he spoke through was his son. And so now we make our way down through the chapter and everything is describing uh, the son. Uh, look at verse number 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth into the firstborn into the world, he saith... Uh, and let the angels of God worship him. So continuing to talk about uh, the, uh, uh, the differentiation between Christ and the angels, the distinction there. And again, he, uh, and of the angels he saith, who maketh his ministers spirits and his, his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. As we made our way through, one note that we must remember, and we need to get this uh, down, and we need to uh, solidify it in our minds, is that God alone is deserving of worship. Alone. Only God deserves to be worshipped, deserves to be praised, deserves to be honored in the way that is, uh, uh, is reverential. Dr. Desai and I were talking this week, and uh, uh, he made mention of, uh, of uh, where he grew up, the way he grew up. He was exposed uh, in, in India to uh, these many different people who were literally prostrating themselves before false deities. Literally. We talk about it in, in America, but we're not exposed to it in the way that they were. And many times we can say things like, well, you know, uh, uh, golf has become my God. For me, ice had become my God, believe it or not. I was consumed with it to where I would wake up in the middle of the night and I had to go get onto the ice. And so it became my God and eventually I had to put it away from me. I had to, uh, I had to stop and there, there came a time in my life... Uh, where I finally, I had been holding on to my ice skates uh, for years, hadn't put them on my feet, uh, hadn't, hadn't done anything with them for years. And finally I looked at them and I said, you know, what, what, God, uh, what dead gods are dead should be buried and should be done away with. And so I got rid of them. I, had, I don't know why I was holding on to them. I don't know, maybe I thought eventually I might get back on the ice. Uh, and, and I, Well, I'm strong enough now as a Christian and I can, I can get back on, and it's not going to be my God. No. I remember Josiah and Manasseh. Manasseh was Josiah's grandfather. And when Manasseh came and he took the idols and he took everything out of the city, he put it on the outside of the city where it wasn't to be brought into the city. And guess what his stupid son did? Brought it right back into the city. When Josiah now is king, he doesn't put them outside the city. He grinds them to dust. No way possible to bring them back in. 
as we look at some of these things and as we get into understanding uh, what it is that we're dealing with, we need to start recognizing some gods in our life. And can I put it to you this way? While no, we may not be seeing people uh, falling prostrate before others, we may not be, somebody may say, well, golf is, is, is my idol. No, can I let you know something? You have become your God. And as we get into understanding what it is that is being told to us here about the Son of God, we've got to come face to face with the reality that we have placed other things, other people, other priorities as God in our life. And whenever it's something for me as opposed to for Him, I have just made myself God. Understand that there are many people who would say, no, 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 no. I don't worship myself, I worship the true God. But then as soon as you start talking to them, well, you know, uh, God is a jealous God, not my God. you, You know, God gets angry at sin, not my God. My God is just love, 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 love. That's a false God. We need to take him as a whole. And in taking him completely, we need to realize that he and he alone should be worshipped and is jealous of that worship. And that's not a bad thing. We view jealousy in the, in the bad lights. But uh, go back with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter number 20. Look at Exodus chapter 20, just to get a little bit of a foundation Exodus chapter 20, here we have uh, uh, the Ten Commandments being given. And, and just kind of, here's, here's one for you. You know, we talk about God uh, writing the Bible through uh, different prophets, and there were 40 different authors in over 1,500 years. And, and we look, did you know that there's actually part of the Bible that was written by God Himself? By the finger of God wrote he the Ten Commandments. When you read the Ten Commandments, you need to realize you are reading not just what a person penned for God or on behalf of God, but God himself took his finger and he wrote this out for you. Some people say, well, you can't trust the, uh, you can't trust the people that wrote it down and the scribes that had their own agenda. Here, let me give you God's agenda. Look at the very first part of this in verse number 20. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Notice what he does. He establishes, it was me that did this for you. Don't overlook that. Think about jealousy from this perspective. You know, a... uh, uh, sometimes we look at jealousy in such a negative light. But I'm going to tell you right now, if uh, I come in one day and somebody has my wife off to the side and he is laying it on thick and flirting hot and heavy with my wife, you better believe I'm going to be jealous. And Katie, bar the door, you better get out the way because it's going to be a bad day because that's my wife. 
And I'm the only one that gets to whisper sweet nothings into her ear. And believe you me, it's going to be a bad day. I have every right to be jealous over her. Now, it's a different story. We take and we go, yeah, but what about when you got, the, you got somebody that they're just overly jealous? She can't even look at another guy. Come on. That's my wife. I deserve her eye. I deserve her attention. I do. She made a vow to me. I made a vow to her. I am hers. She has every right to expect me to maintain true to that vow. God made you. Let's just stop there. Whether you are born again by the Spirit of God or not, understand this. God is the Creator. Not you. Not Richard Dawkins. And I'm sorry, Stephen Hawking, but no, you didn't discover the beginning of time. God put it there. Understand, He's the one that made you. He's the one that set the world into motion. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. He's the one that established time. He's the one that gave you a day off. He's the one that puts the fruit on the tree. He's the one that puts the the vegetables into the ground. He's the one that gives you oxygen. He's the one that supplies it. People go, oh, we got to worry about greenhouse emissions and all this kind of stuff. And oh my goodness, we're putting a hole in the ozone layer. Before we go worshiping that ozone layer, why don't we worship the one who put it there? We need to understand who God is. Going again, back to Exodus 20, he says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, <clears throat> bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, Unto the third and fourth generation to them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Keep, keep what we just read in mind and now go over to chapter 34 of the book of Exodus. Chapter 34. Look at verse number... Uh, I go ahead and start in verse number 12. <clears throat> Exodus 34, verse 12 says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt not worship no, thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I want you to understand the, the, the reality of this. It's not God is saying, here's the whole, you know, you can have your choice. And, and, it's, and it's like some people voted God the MVP while these other gods, some other person voted for them. It's not a candidacy. 
There is no, there is no uh, which one are you going to vote for situation. There's only one that has the right to be voted for. There's only one that deserves to be in that position. I don't want my children calling somebody else dad. I am their dad. And I have every right to feel that that's, that's my child. That's the one that I, I brought out. God blessed me with that boy. God blessed me with that girl. He didn't bless somebody else to come along and take my place. No, 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 no. And God has every right to deserve His worship. And He should not nor does he share it. Now go back to Hebrews. Verse 6 in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1, ends this way. And let all the angels of God worship him. Do you see that? If God is jealous of His worship, as He has every right to be, and He does not share His worship with anyone, you can look in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus Himself told Satan, He said that you're not supposed to bow down or worship or serve anybody but God. He was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. God is the maker, the only one that deserves to worship. So... Either God is giving away His worship willy-nilly and He is no longer the God that He was back in the Old Testament days, or Jesus is God. He's equal, co-equal, co-eternal. We need to understand this. Now looking at the role of the angels in relation to God. Uh, understanding how God alone is worthy. We understand that now. But I want you to see the way the angels were made. They, the preacher makes the case for Jesus. Now, as I've said before, it may not necessarily be the result of a false Christology, but this can be very, very effective in, uh, in clearing up a false Christology. Uh, many people, they have, they have the person of Jesus Christ completely messed up. And, and they, uh, uh, they believe that uh, Jesus was a created being. Uh, they believe that Jesus was maybe the first and greatest creation. Maybe he was a created being that God uh, gave deity to later on. Uh, but understand, Orthodox Christianity believes that the Godhead is one being made up of three persons and all three being co-equal, co-eternal. The angels were not part of that. And somebody may say, well, Pastor, we get that. All right, that's great. But I want you to go to Psalm chapter 104. Look at Psalm chapter 104. And again, I've said before and I'll say it again. The more Bible I give to you, the less Andy Lake I give to you. And so I don't make any apologies for jumping around in the Bible. Look at Psalm chapter 104. Again, here we're presented with a messianic psalm. This psalm is specifically referenced in in Hebrews chapter number 1. 
specifically referenced, but it's important not to read over this and just kind of glance by. And how many times are we guilty of doing that? We read through the Word of God and we see where something from the Old Testament is quoted, but we don't take the time to actually study it. Come on, let's, let's let Scripture define Scripture and, and explain it. Look at Psalm 104. Uh, look at verse number 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who covers thyself with light and with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire." who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. I want you to see this because this is important for us to realize that uh, angels as spirits, ministers as flaming fire, uh, does not simply mean that angels are spiritual and bright. But many times we'll read past something like that and we'll go, okay, so it's saying the angels are spirits. I knew angels were spirits. I knew that they dwelt in the spiritual realm. I got that. Cool. And then we say, angels are a flaming fire. Oh, so you mean that they're shining. No, no, no. Stop. This word for this word for uh, uh, for spiritual beings for spirit uh, is is the Hebrew word ruach. It essentially indicates an unseen force. Let's take a look at uh, at another passage. If you're here in the Book of Psalms, jump back to Psalm chapter 18, and you'll see the exact same word used. We're going to stay. OT for a little bit. Psalm chapter 18, this same word is used in verse number 10. He rode upon a cherub, not that word, and did fly, yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. The wind. Same word, ruach, as angels. Translated over in Psalm 104. Now go over again to Zechariah. It's in the Minor Prophets. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Go to Zechariah chapter number 6. Another use of the same word. And this is important for us to understand what's going on as far as these angels are concerned. Why the, uh, the psalmist makes this statement. Why uh, the book of Hebrews refers to it. Zechariah chapter number 6. Look at, okay, look at verse number four. Then I answered and said unto the, unto the angel that talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said unto me, they, these are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So these angels as spirits... Same word as spirits is used over in Psalm 18, Psalm chapter 18, as winds. And here in Zechariah, same word in reference to the four spirits who are in reference to the four winds. And so, okay, Pastor Andy, that's really boring. Why are you bringing this up? I want you to understand angels were created for a specific purpose. It has to do with service not worship. When God wants the wind to blow, He says, go do it. When He wants fire called down from heaven, He says, go do it. 
when God expects something to take place, God just simply points at what he wants done and he says, get it done. Angels are nothing more than servants, ministers, not to be worshipped, nowhere in the same camp as God. Nowhere. And so, well, okay, well, again, Pastor Andy, I get this. Then why do we hear so much talk over my guardian angel this and my guardian angel that? <laughs> let's, let's, I've actually heard people tell me that when I'm driving and I have to hurry, I pray that my guardian angel will keep up with me. You know, there have been times, I can remember last years ago, we were in uh, New York. I was up in New York City. And I didn't want to stay in New York City because I don't know about you, but I value my life. And so we stayed in Newark. I, I must not value it very much. And I would take the bus into New York. And then I would take the subway where I needed to go and everything. I got on the bus, and I did not look at the bus and say, Bus, take me to New York. The driver did that. If you ever get into a cab, and before you get into a cab, you're saying that, you hail the cab, or maybe you, you know, okay, let's speak modern language. Uh, what is it? You got the, uh, somebody help me. Uber, thank you. <laughs> You've done it before. So you call the Uber and the Uber driver pulls up and he's in that Prius because he's concerned. And, and you look at the Prius and you say, Prius, take me to the airport. And then you get in and the driver says, where do you want to go? I already told the Prius. It doesn't work that way, does it? We don't talk to the car, we talk to the driver of the car. So quit looking to your guardian angel and look to the driver of the guardian angel. And there's way too many people today, and believe it or not, you may not be one of those, but understand, within the house of God, there are many people who are waiting for an angel to do something, or waiting for a special sign from an angel. Well, if God would give me a sign, would you send me an angel to minister? Would you send me... He sent His Son! We don't need an angel to minister to us. We have... His son. Well, if you would just simply give me a sign. What more sign do we need? we got to quit looking for all this supernatural, spiritual stuff when the God who created everything entered into eternity, robed Himself in your type of a flesh without sin. He lived the life that you should have lived, that I should have lived, died the death that we deserve to die. What more supernatural do we need? Is that not enough? We've got to understand angels were created for worship. Any angel that would accept worship is violating his created purpose. This is why every time in the Old Testament when an angel would appear and someone would fall down prostrate before him, he said, no, 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 no. Don't worship me. Don't worship me. Realize the truth about these angels. You see, this is giving the idea that God created these guys for a specific purpose. And the writer is restating the Old Testament doctrine that the angels were made 
or formed as subordinate agents of his purposes. He is not going to attribute to one of them worship. Matter of fact, one of them that one of the worship got kicked out. This is not an angel we're talking about. Now, I want you to continue with me because I am going to get back to my original question. But I want you to see that God calls things. He calls things by names that reveal their nature. And there's a wide contrast between servant, minister, and his son. Look again here in the book of Hebrews because you're going to see another Stark contrast. Verse number 7 of Hebrews chapter 1, And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God. He refers to his Son as God. Now, People can try to explain this one away. They can try to, you know, excuse it and, 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 and well, you know, that what it's actually saying is God is the throne. This is a, this is a metaphoric uh, language. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, okay, here we are in, in chapter number 1, verse number 8. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever a scepter of righteousness, is a scepter of thy kingdom. Uh, look at um, Psalm chapter 103. Psalm chapter 103. Let's, let's see. Okay. Psalm chapter number 103. Uh, this is... <clears throat> This is a psalm of David about the Lord's holy character, the Lord Jehovah's holy character. This is a psalm of David. Look at verse number 20, Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, all ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Catch this before we move on. The angels obey the word of God. What does John say to us? In the beginning was the... And the word was with God and the word was... The angels obey the word of God. Now here we are pointed to the 45th Psalm. Go back to the 45th Psalm, please. Psalm chapter number 45. This is a psalm talking about the eternal kingdom. Look at verse, um, uh, look at verse number 4. And in majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, whereby uh, the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, 
is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You know, it's an interesting thing here that as Psalm 45 is talking about the eternality of the kingdom of God, and then it continues to talk in verse number six, it says, thy throne, O God, is forever. He wouldn't, the writer would not be saying God is God's throne. He is saying God's throne abides forever. And when the writer of Hebrews is applying it to the person of Jesus Christ, he is saying Jesus Christ Christ's throne as God is forever. Now I want you to notice what's being taught by this because it's important for us to not just skim across things. He is on the throne of God. Realize this. The Father calling the Son, God, looks to His throne as an everlasting throne. He is on the throne today. He is on the throne of God, will be on the throne of God for all eternity. His kingdom is one of righteousness. Notice what it says there. It says in verse number 6, The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter, or a righteous. It is correct. It is everything that is done under your kingship is right. Notice what he continues with. Thy throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hateth wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now, as I said, some have tried to excuse this away, try to say and then mask the obvious. Some would try to mask the obvious by saying that the throne of God is, is a metaphoric throne or what have you, but the context proves otherwise. Now I want you to look at just a couple more things and we're going to make our way toward a conclusion here. If you were to go, just, just do it with me, go back to the book of Hebrews You've seen the reference enough. Hebrews chapter number 1, verse 7, and the angels says, make his ministers, uh, spirits as uh, ministers of flame of fire. Uh, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. As you continue to read through here, the case is clear that the one being addressed by God is God. You cannot explain it away any other verbiage. There's no way to do it. You have to completely remove the rest of the surrounding Scripture in order to try to explain this away. It doesn't work. And this is the beauty of a New Testament writer going back to the Old Testament. He says, hey, it was written thousands of years ago. And as a matter of fact, I'll quote it to you. Really? I don't think that's what it said. I was talking with an individual one day and... uh, he told me about uh, how um, David lost his salvation. 
said, I don't remember reading that. He says, oh yeah, it's in there. Do you mind telling me where? I can't remember where, but it says that David asked for, the, for his salvation to be renewed. I don't remember that. I said, are you thinking Psalm 51? Yeah, that's it. Where he says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Well, I don't know that. Why don't you look it up? Go back to the Word of God. Let it be true. And every man a liar. If what I have to say does not match up with Scripture, the Scripture's not the liar. I am. If what I have to say does not match up with what thus says the Lord, the Lord's not the one that got it wrong. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think he meant that. I think what he meant to say was, back off there, Charlie. Don't tell me, don't presume to know the mind of God. Just read it for yourself. Now, for some of you Bible students expecting me and wanting me to go deeper and deeper and deeper into some of this, rest assured that as we continue, much more will come. But for now, note verse 9, and we'll come to a conclusion. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness, Above thy fellows. I love the way the Lord works. I love the way that he connects things in ways that I never could. And I had an aha moment last night because I had a conversation. Brother Jeff and I were talking. I had a conversation with him this week and I was like, holy cow pies. That really, it, it connected it was like everything that we talked about came to a head right here. I want you to see this. Now, of course, now let me give you a pause just a minute. I gotta, my mind is a little unhinged, so maybe I'm the only one that saw the connection. But anyway, Brother Jess probably sitting back and going, I have no idea what he was talking about. Look what it says here. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. For now, here's what I want you to notice in that. You see the word right in the middle of verse 9, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, see what it's there for. See the reason that it's been placed. One could rightly say, what brings joy and causes the Father to get excited and rejoice and to bless is His Son's righteousness. Pause for just a minute. It's one of those Selah. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. What causes God to rejoice is righteousness. And he looked down upon sinful man. He says, I can't find 
what I'm looking for. They're, they're not righteous. So I'm going to have to go down and do it for them. And this is why Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The original question that I put to you this morning was how do I keep God happy with me? Can I let you in on a secret? Jesus. Jesus is the only way that we are acceptable before God. The only way. And so when I approach God, the Father, it has to be covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is Christ's righteousness, not my righteousness. I have not earned the righteousness. I have not earned this by any stretch of the imagination. It is everything of Him. But if I try to come to Him by any other means necessary, by any other way, I am coming to Him apart from Jesus Christ. And He sees me, my filth, my lack of righteousness. But when I am clothed in Jesus Christ, I am seen by him as righteous. But I want to give you an analogy. If, uh, if I told you I got to head out today and I'm driving down to West Virginia. And I've only got about an eighth of a tank of gas. I'm going to need gas, aren't I? I'm not going to make it very far, especially in that big beast, on an eighth of a tank of gas. I'm going to have to go get gas. The gas station is where I'm going to get gas. What keeps the vehicle running? The gas or the gas station? Nobody wants to take a chance, huh? The gas, that's right. This is, this is not rocket science. I put the gas in the tank. But I have to go to the gas station to get it. It doesn't just miraculously happen. I have to go to the source. The question on is God pleased with you? I want you to understand, you cannot earn salvation. But because of the Son's love for righteousness and hatred of wickedness, the Father blesses the Son. And because the Son is blessed, and because the Son's righteousness is beyond reproach, and I have gone to the source of righteousness. Doesn't just happen by osmosis. Okay? Doesn't just naturally occur. I can't earn it, no. But I do have to go to the source. 
And when God shows up, flips the light on and says, Come ye who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take up your cross, follow me. When I see that call and I hear the invitation and I drop everything of me, I quit trying to work my way into heaven. I quit trying to do enough good deeds. I quit trying to give enough money. I quit trying to say the right things. I quit trying to pray the right words. I just simply, in repentance and faith, turn from myself to the one and only one who can save grace is afforded. And that's the only way to approach God. The only way. Yeah, but pastor, what about after that? Listen. (laughs) Jesus is the only source of salvation. And when I have come to Him, from that moment on, I need to understand that I have made a commitment to follow Him. And there are times in my life, let's just be honest, I'm not perfect. We're not talking about sinless perfection here on this side of heaven. We're not talking about that. There are times in my life where I've taken a few steps back. But I'm miserable when I do. For someone to say, well, I got saved and I know I'm not living the way I should live, but that's okay. Does not compute with me. Because when I'm stepping back and I'm not as close as I once was, I'm miserable. Nothing I do finds joy. Nothing I do finds fulfillment. You can only come to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And then from that moment on, I abide in him. That's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15. He says, if you abide in me, and I in you, we've got to abide in him. This is not, oh, you mean you're telling me that if I if I don't abide in him, then I, I, I I'm, I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna lose it, Pastor. No, now I need to just do this so that I don't lose it. No, 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 no. Stop for a minute. Please stop. Please stop. I don't abide in Him for that purpose. I abide in Him because I decided long ago to abide in Him. And that relationship and that fellowship is so sweet. Look, I don't like it when my wife's mad at me. Think what you want. It bugs me. I like, I'm a fixer. I want to fix it. I want to fix it. What did I do? Just leave it alone. Oh, but, I, but I did something wrong. Just leave it alone. But what, I, I, let, let me know what I did wrong and I'll fix it. Just leave it alone. But what do you want me to do to fix it? I told you, leave it alone. That's what I want you to do to fix it. No, oh, okay. Uh, I can't do that. I don't like it. And when my fellowship with him is not right, I don't like it. And so the only thing that I know to do is to look back to Jesus and start following Him. It's not a mystery. 
But salvation is a gift given to those who turn from themselves and follow Jesus. It's a gift. And after having experienced that gift, I'm just going to spend the rest of my life enjoying Him. What about you? Do you spend the rest of your days enjoying Him? Or are you racked with fear? Because you think that if you, have, if you haven't done something, or if you did something, God's not going to be pleased with me anymore. Can I help you for just a minute? Quit trusting in your works. Trust in Him. Quit trusting what you did or didn't do. Trust in Him. Commit your ways to following Him with every fiber of your being. And just have faith that He is and that He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Father, I ask You, Lord, that You would impress upon us Impress upon us the truth and the reality of who you are. Impress upon us, Father, the, uh, the, the, the awesome God that created us. And Father, the one that loves us, sustains us. So Father, as we go through our lives, we just pray that you would help us to see areas of our of our existence, our, our, our every day. And that, Father, and if there's anything that is not in keeping with your step, reveal it to us, Lord. Help us to forsake it. Father, I'm sure that there may be someone here today who is relying on themselves. I don't know the hearts of man. You do. But there very well could be someone here this very morning who doesn't know for sure that they're a child of God. They've been working and trying and doing what they can. But something this morning spoke to their heart. And they're convicted of their need to turn from themselves and in repentance and faith turn to you. Perhaps there's someone here today, Lord, that they trusted you as their personal Savior, but maybe they've taken a few steps back and they're miserable. And that today would be the day where they would give themselves fresh and anew to following after you. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over this time. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.